Welcome to Rising Tide, a podcast for career-driven women to find inspiration, find courage, and find their voice. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm your host, Margaret Winnegar. And for the last three years, I have been obsessed with understanding the female experience in the workplace, pulling from over a decade of personal experience as a female leader in male-dominated spaces, Combined with over 80 interviews with highly successful and aligned women, I have crafted a practice to equip women to get the career they want. If you or someone you know is an ambitious woman in leadership or female founder who is looking for genuine connection with other powerful women and wants to design a career on her terms rather than have it defined for her, Be sure to check out the QXR cohort kicking off this October. You can learn more at my website, margaretwinnegar.com. Applications are now open. Let's get to today's episode. I worked 80 hours a week and I had a full load of master's classes because my imposter syndrome, my not enoughness was so hardcore. I was just like, I have to kill myself every single day. Like that's what would go in my mind. When I met my husband, it was like the first time, like I had like experienced like joy and peace. Mm. And I was like, oh shit, this is what life is about. You know, I hustle so much because of this weird thing inside of me. But then I met him and I was like, well, this is life. What I've been doing isn't life. Meet Kara Kirby. Kara spent the first 15 years of her career in corporate environments known for their outstanding cultures. Despite starting her career in sales, Kara quickly realized that her true passion was in building work environments that nurtured creativity and cultivated an exceptional employee experience. Then in 2021, with over a decade of expertise in organizational development, leadership development, and people-first cultures, Kara launched Insights Leadership Group, a leadership consulting company that assists high-growth organizations around the globe to scale people-first leadership. On today's episode, Kara and I discuss how her role in sales led her to her life's calling. We nerd out on what it means to have a leadership mindset, and we discuss how she continuously works to overcome, quote, not enoughness. This and so much more today. This is such a rich conversation, whether you are an aspiring leader currently in leadership or just aim to be a great leader in your life you are going to want to hear what Kara has to say. I can't wait for you to meet her. Enjoy. Welcome to Rising Tide, Kara. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. Oh my gosh. I'm so pumped. You know, for all the bad rap that social media gets, this one is extra special to me because this is a friendship that was birthed in TikTok. (laughs) It was birthed in TikTok. Oh my gosh. And I remember finding you on TikTok and starting to follow your content and really being energized by how you spoke about leadership. And then when you reached out, I mean, my heart soared and then come to find out we were basically neighbors for you. Yeah, I know. Right. Crazy. Oh my God. We we could have actually had real life conversations about this stuff. (laughs) I know. I know. I'm still holding out hope that when you come back and visit, we'll do that. We will. We totally will. Oh my gosh. Well, Kara, you know, I mentioned that I started following you on TikTok and that I alluded that you talk about leadership. I would love for you to tell us about your company insights leadership group and what you do, where it came from all the good stuff kind of fill us in on the work that you're doing. (laughs) 
I've been inside the world of organizational and leadership development for a long time. So usually this world is people's second career, right? Mm. They're like, they'll find it and get really inspired. And then they'll go and get a bunch of education and then they'll go down that track. They'll be coaches or facilitators, et cetera. But in my first company that I'll tell you all about here in a little bit had a really profound organizational mm-hmm. development practice. So at the ripe age of 23, I didn't know anything about anything. I went to like, I think it was even like a disc seminar or there was someone mm-hmm. that was talking about the value of helping people be their best at work. I have an undergrad in psychology and I didn't ever think I was going to be in business, right? Like no one in my family is in business. So like it was just random that I got this job, but I was like, oh, business is just people, right? Mm. And there's this field that is the combination of business and psychology that I never knew existed. And I couldn't get enough of it. So I went to school and I learned all these things. I got even more obsessed with it. And then I had lots of opportunities to actually use everything that I was learning after that. Mm -hmm. So I did it inside of corporate for a long time. And then two years ago, I decided to take the leap (laughs) and I went off on my own. So now I I facilitate a lot of workshops. My team and I will build a lot of leadership programs Mm in-house for companies whenever they want to have their look and feel to some of the content. We do some culture consulting, but really we focus on helping people have a leadership culture. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And I think one of the things that always resonates so deeply with me, with your content, your messaging is the emphasis on kind of a people first culture. I'm so curious, you know, it sounds like you had exposure to this early on. What does people first leadership look like? Oh, that question. (laughs) So, (laughs) okay. So I worked for a company that was won all of the culture awards for a good Mm. chunk of my career. So at the end, before they were acquired, they were the number two best place to work. And their tagline was people first. Mm. So everything that we did was people first leadership or people first presentations or people first sales, right? Like everything was people first, which was actually a really genius nuance that they were able to infuse into the culture because it made people ask the question of how do I make sure I'm doing what I'm doing, but doing it people first. I led a team and I did a lot of work with the leadership development program there. And so that was actually the question we were always trying to answer is how do we get people to internalize and really understand the meaning? Because it can be taken out of context, right? Like Mm -hmm. it being like, oh, well, I didn't get this raise or I didn't get a food truck on a Wednesday. That's not people first. And, you know, like it can get kind of wonky. So we'd always try to be really clear about what it meant. So the the way I would explain it inside of our leadership programs is that you start with a mindset of like, how do I serve others? Mm. And you trust that that's the best way to get business done. And it is, by the way. <laughs> well, I, I, right. I mean, there's countless studies and research that shows the effectiveness of that. And yet it is still very almost counterculture mm-hmm. in the business world. I love that. And I've seen that, you know, a lot of the companies that do that with their customers and they really put customer centricity at the heart of everything that they do. And I oh, love yeah. that was part of their tagline was like people first, because it does, it forces you to always look at something with that as the filter. And it does take that discipline and intentionality because it is really easy to 
start going down a path without consideration or empathy for the experience of others. Absolutely. So, you know, everybody, like there's a lot of executives that went through the dogma of these schools back in the 80s, maybe the late 70s, that they all heard this message pounded into them that you only take care of the shareholders, right? Like, that's it. Like, if you're not taking care of the shareholders, then you're basically a communist. So we still see the effects. And this is like the effects of Jack Welch and GE, even though none of that shit actually worked. Like, we still see the fragments of that really infused in a lot of different places. And at Ultimate, what we did was like, we were really explicit that there's a pyramid that it's like shareholders, customers, employees, right? The employees are at the bottom. And we were really, this wasn't me, this was our brilliant leaders, but they said, we flip this and say that if you take you take care of your people first they will then take care of the customers because they're invested and then the shareholders like profit is an outcome it's not a goal Mm -hmm. right so it was groundbreaking i think more people are starting to understand the concept but it's really hard to change a belief that you have if it was passed down to you by somebody that you really respected, whether it was like a professor or your father. Right. And I think that that's one of the reasons we have some of the problems that we do inside of our corporations, inside of this country and others. Right. Oh, well, and you're hitting on something that's really interesting because if I take that, if we want to empathize with like people who oftentimes we find infuriating, I think about a lot of the women that I talk to, even myself personally, where we have outdated narratives and Mm -hmm. beliefs that we tell ourselves and either we gather new information, but we don't update the narrative or it's not grounded in facts anymore. And so it is, it requires a lot of, I keep saying intentionality, but does require intentionality to update the narrative, to be open to the new information. But I I think that's such a great way to put it. And was it that model flipping? It's like servant leadership is like the, Mm -hmm. like the way of like taking the, the typical pyramid and inverting it. And I, oh, I'm a huge, huge fan of that. Okay. So we can nerd out on leadership and I think we're (laughs) going to weave it in here, but I want to hear, this is about you because the work that you're doing today is fueled by a journey that you've gone on over the last 15 years. So I would love to take us way, way back. You mentioned you were a psychology major in undergrad, and I would love to know coming out of college, it looks like there was a little bit of a gap graduating before you started working for dealer tire. So tell us about this time of life where (laughs) you've, you've got your degree, you're graduating. What was going through your head? What did you envision that you were going to do next? I thought that I was going to travel the world and teach English. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So teaching, we do see, okay, there was that streak. Okay. So that was my grand plan. All I wanted to do was travel the world. That's like literally it. So I did, I went down to Mexico with a friend that I made and we went and we got like our our certification of teaching English. We lived in this like rackety hotel and, (laughs) and it was a lot of fun, but I also realized that I needed to be financially secure. Like that was just a need that I had. I never had anybody that was like fueling my life. Right. So that anxiety of like, I don't know if I'm going to have enough money to eat that I couldn't deal with. Right. Like I, I probably could have figured it out. And I, and I wish sometimes, I mean, I try to like live with no regrets, but I wish sometimes I would have pushed through and like figured it out and Mm. been able to go travel the world. Cause I think that's so important if you can at that age, 
but I just did it. Like I needed to go get a job and I needed to go and get that financial security. So I had a gap. I went to Mexico. We lived there and we got the certification. We had some good times, but then I came home and, and I actually like taught English to these two guys that were in the oil business in Houston for a little bit. And then I ended up getting a big girl job. So you were living in Texas at the time? I'm from Texas. You're yes. from Texas. Okay. Yeah, I'm from All right. Texas. So really connect the dots for me here then, because okay. in Texas, you've graduated and somehow you end up in Ohio doing sales. I, <laughs> I'm in Texas. One of my buddies, one of my good friends from college got this job with this company called Dealer Tire. Mm-hmm. And, and I just needed a big girl job. I didn't really care what it was. It. And he was like, Kara, this job's like really fun. They give you a car and a projector. And I was like, sweet, I'm in. <laughs> And they actually gave like kids out of college, like a good salary, right? Yeah. Like they, they paid them a fair salary. And I was like, this is amazing. So I interviewed and then they called me and said, Hey, you got the job, but wow. you need to move to the East coast. And at that point, I really wanted to work for the company. And I said, all right, we'll do this. And then my options were Atlanta or Charlotte. So oh I had gone from this environment where it's like anywhere I went, like if I went out to dinner or I went anywhere, I had like 19 people with me and then I was all by myself and I lived in a hotel for like in Charlotte. So I decided to move to Charlotte instead of Atlanta because the first day I was in Atlanta, my car got broken into and it scared me. No regrets, but I love Atlanta. We ended up moving back there a little bit later on and I'm a, I love Atlanta. I think it's like a wonderful place. I would have had a great time living there too. But I had the option of Charlotte. So I moved to yeah. Charlotte. I didn't know a soul. I had like had to go to bars by myself. Mm-hmm. It was a really interesting experience. But I think that if all young kids have to go do that, it would change them. It would make them all yeah. more courageous. Like yeah. after you go do something like that, you're like, throw anything at me. It doesn't really matter. Right, right. <laughs> Moving to a new city, knowing nobody, new mm-hmm. job and a field you've never done before. Yeah, I would imagine that that probably created a pretty great sense of like, I can figure pretty much anything out. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So, so I, do I have this right? You were doing sales training. You were a regional sales trainer. My, my first company, I mean, again, they were super, super progressive. Like I didn't realize how awesome they were until I got into the real world, Mm. but they went and analyzed the activity of their salespeople and realized that the salespeople were spending a lot of their very expensive hours training car dealerships. So what we did was we, we taught car dealerships, how to be in the tire business. And this was 17 Mm -hmm. years ago. So car dealerships weren't selling tires and they didn't want to, because there was a low margin and they were big, like clunky, stinky things that they were having to sell. But if they didn't sell tires, they were basically pushing their customers out the door to go to the, go to other places. So it's a big key for retention. I could talk about the tire business all day long. I feel yeah, because you were there for a long time. Yeah, I was there for a long time. Even when I like pass people that have bald tires, I'm like, I should I leave a note? I don't know. <laughs> or like the best thing, the best thing that happens from a female perspective is that like guys will try to talk to me about tires. Like they'll come and try to mansplain me about tires. My husband gets more embarrassed than I do. He's like, please stop, please stop. She <laughs> she knows so much about tires. <laughs> We need to add this to your LinkedIn profile. We've got leadership coach, tire expert. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. So what did, what did a day in the life look like for you? 
So what they did was they took kids out of college and mm-hmm. then they made them. So this like training portion where they were teaching car dealerships about tires, mm-hmm. they took us right out of college and made us memorize a 52 page presentation all about tires. And I mean, it was hard work. It took everybody two months. Like we lived in a hotel together for two months and we memorized it so that we felt confident enough to go out and be the experts. But really right. we just had a lot of information memorized. And so I would just go from dealership to dealership to dealership to dealership and teach people about tires every single day. I did that for two years and I moved into sales. And so I had like my accounts and I would, you know, the more tires that those accounts would sell then you know, like that benefited me. And then from there I moved. So when I graduated from my master's program, I got a job in our corporate headquarters where I eventually was teaching all of our salespeople how to sell tires, everything about tires, et cetera. There's so much to unpack there. You just like slipped in the masters. <laughs> okay. So a couple of years in, a year and a half in, you go, you decide to start pursuing your master's in organizational development. So first mm-hmm. off, tell us about that. Like, what does that mean? Organizational development? Organizational development is full systems change. It is leadership development. It is, you could make a case that it's HR, right? I wish all HR would like really no OD, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that, if that makes sense, but it's like, that's perfect. Okay. It's it's all of those things kind of in one it's, it's Mm -hmm. helping people like move organizations and do it in a way that's like human centered and will actually work. Right. Like, cause you know, most change efforts don't work because people don't, they don't enact the people who are closest to the problem. They're just like, oh, we're just going to be, we'll make these decisions in a vacuum and then tell people what to do. And then like scratch our heads about why it doesn't work. And it's the opposite of that. It's like, no, don't do that. Oh man. You saying that just like brought back (laughs) several flashbacks. Oh my goodness. Okay. So what prompted the decision to start a master's? It was my first company. So like they did so much awesome stuff. Like I actually just wrote about this. Like, Mm. so they were in the backyard of Case Western's organizational development program. So whenever we needed to reconfigure our sales strategy, like they brought in David Cooperwriter, who is like, who was the father of that. And we did an appreciative inquiry, which is like focusing on strengths and doing change, but it's like allowing the people who are closest to the customer be the ones who develop the strategy and then implementing what the people that are closest to the customer actually say about it. Mm. So we would bring everybody in for two days. We would do that kind of work. And when you're a part of it, it's mind blowing. Like it's amazing. And I just, I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to help everybody do this kind of stuff. Oh, how cool. How how cool. Okay. So you start your master's and then you also kind of like slipped in that you ended (laughs) up getting a job at headquarters. Yeah. The big, big transition here, because you had been in, you know, you'd done the sales training, you'd done sales where you had your accounts, and now you're going into much more of a one corporate job. But then what was the role? Sales learning program manager? Is that right? Yeah. And so I was like the, well, we did everything. We would have two weeks of like a boot camp where we would bring in all of our new people and we had a team. And so like our team would facilitate training, we would build it. And it was, yeah, it was really fun. I love, by the way, Yeah, I now work in leadership, but, and you and I nerded out about this. I think that sales and leadership is so similar Mm -hmm. when it comes to like Mm -hmm. the mindset 
and it comes to like the way that you like approach people. I always say that and people look at me cross-eyed. I'm like sales and leadership is the same. It really is. And it's really tragic to me how many people have kind of perpetuated the rhetoric that if you're great at sales, you won't be a great leader because they try to say that the motivations are wrong. It's like, the only thing that ever, where that ever applies is if the only reason somebody in sales wants to go into leadership is because they think they should, Mm -hmm. but they don't actually want to. They just think they need to have a a bigger title or like, that's how they show that they're growing in their career. But yes, another, a whole (laughs) other bit for another day. So tell me this. How did you get that job? Because I know that, right? Like that's not just a, a, that's a, that's a big thing as far as you're, I imagine doing really well, but how did you navigate going from in the field to at corporate running this program? It just happened naturally because like when I finished my master's, I wanted to go do something directly in it. And my, my first company was wonderful and they, they basically would be like, Kara, write a job and we'll let you do it. Right. And it wasn't just me. They would do that with a lot of people. Right. Like they were just awesome. My first job was actually like probably the title that's on my LinkedIn was like, I was becoming like a learning program manager. So I was like building curriculum behind the scenes. And then I think like one day they, because I had been facilitating for so long, right. Cause like going from dealership to dealership to dealership. And they, I think like one day, like our main facilitator couldn't do it. So they're like, will you step in? And then I just, it just snowballed. Like I just kind of, you know, like the whole team changed and then we ended up like kind of taking over the whole thing. And It was fun because before then they didn't have somebody that was in sales before that had had that lived experience facilitating the program and facilitating these new people. Mm. I mean, there were some people that they would bring in and out, but like, but then I became the main person and I would be able to tell all these stories from the field and be like, listen, here's the theory, but this is what this is like in real life. And like, this is what you need to be able to say. These are the questions you need to be able to ask. Like, this is what you're going to see every single day. Yes. So valuable. And that's where so much sales training falls totally flat is in a vacuum. It makes total sense and it works great. And then you just get smacked in the face on that first call. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. As Glennon Doyle says, I jump into ice cold water every single day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This is really bad, but I'm going to say it. I think that a lot of women, when they're thinking about the things that they can do, they think about themselves. And when we mm-hmm. think about ourselves as a species, it's usually with the backdrop that we're not enough. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, we're like, oh, I could go for that job, but I've got, I'm not my perfect self yet. Mm-hmm. So we have these high performing women that don't think that they're enough. So they're like comparing themselves against themselves, which is already amazing, but they don't think that they're at that point because of their own stuff that they need to go to therapy for probably. And so it's like, I can't get there because I don't feel like I'm enough. Mm-hmm. So what I always tell people to do is to kind of remind yourself that that guy that cheated off you in high school shouldn't be making more money than you. I love it. I love it. Well, because and I, that's what resonates, right? It's like that guy, that guy, that bro is not second guessing himself. So maybe instead of comparing yourself against your own insane standards, right? Like you're not going to fix that overnight, but pay attention to these people who suck at their jobs around you, right? right? That guy that cheated off you in high school is not second guessing himself every day. He's just jumping in and saying, I'll figure it out. Right. There's something we can learn. Yeah. There's something that we can learn. You don't have to be the best right away. You could just be better than that guy. Right. Right. 
Yeah. That guy that sucks at his job, that has that job that you should probably be in, you're better than him. That's right. enough. Right. You don't have to be your highest self at this point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the reframing, you know, mm-hmm. of like how you view the situation. I do. I think getting outside of ourselves. I've heard some people say even too, like, it would almost be selfish not to do it. Right. And I think for some women that really helps too. Right. Because it's like, if you hold that back, who loses out by not having the impact that you can make by going for it, for trying it. So I love that of like finding the reframe that works for you to go for something and push yourself because it's, yeah, to your point, like others are doing it. So why wouldn't you too? Why wouldn't you too? Yeah. And, and, and as you get history on your side, you have data that shows like you land on your feet. You can figure things out. Like you figured out everything else. You're going to yeah. figure out that promotion. You're right. going to figure out that new job. You'll be fine. Yeah. Right. I think the other piece of that too, that is very central to women, it comes with like, most of us are really uncomfortable with money. Right. Mm-hmm. I'll hear this a lot where it's like, I want that job, but like, it's, it's not really about the money. Right. Or it's like, I want, I'm going to do that, but it's like, it's just because I want to help people. It's not about the money. And I think that there's some reframing that goes there as well, is that the more money that you make, it's not the most important thing in the world, but it allows you to give to others, right? If you look at the wealth attainment mm-hmm. of men and women, like women usually only have like 35% of what men do. And you can look at that as a really negative slant against like women and finances. So like, even when they achieve it, they give away most of their money, right? Is the moral <laughs> of that story. But I actually think that there's something beautiful to that. Mm-hmm. It's that it like the more money that you make, you're actually doing something positive with it. You're not just hoarding it because you're scared somebody's going to take it away. Exactly. It's like it's it's enabling you to to do to amplify what you want to do. To if you do want to give back, I think the other thing too is like you're role modeling, charging your worth. Absolutely. It's all. I mean, it's just as simple as that. It's not even about like, do I deserve this? It's like you're just charging your worth. And that's a valuable thing to role model. If you care about, you know, kind of helping those coming behind you, which in my experience, women build different and oftentimes they're building something so that future generations coming behind them don't have to go through the same things that they went through. So absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, I mean, this amazing company, you have just had tremendous space to grow, to try new things out, to really have an impact, a meaningful impact. What leads you to transition away from dealer tire? I was six months pregnant with our first baby and I was traveling to Cleveland Sunday through Friday, basically every day. So we moved to Atlanta, but yeah. uh, let me give a little bit of personal backstory. So yeah. my husband is from a small town called Pinehurst and we met in Charlotte and we, you know, we like, we were inseparable and that was actually, you know, that's a part of my story is because I had been working. So, I mean, I worked 80 hours a week and I had a full load of master's classes because my imposter syndrome, my not enoughness was so hardcore. I was just like, I have to kill myself every single day. Like that's what would go in my mind. When I met my husband, it was, it's going to like make me cry, but it was like the first time, like I had like experienced like joy and peace. And I was like, oh shit, this is what life is about. You know, I hustle so much because of this weird thing inside of me. But then I met him and I was like, well, this is life. What I've been doing isn't life. Mm -hmm. So I would have done anything like for that beautiful relationship. 
But then I got this opportunity and he said, I'll move to Cleveland with you. We were just dating. And he was like, I want to help you in your career. He's always been my biggest cheerleader. And he was like, I'll move to Cleveland with you. He had a company at the time. And he was like, I'll get a job. I'll make this change. I want to do this for you. So he moved with me to Cleveland. Oh my gosh. And we were there for almost two years. And then um, he ended up getting a job there and we were freezing. (laughs) Cleveland summers are the best thing in the entire world. They're amazing, but we're both Southern. Like we can't, we just, we, we, we just, we were freezing. We could not deal. And Cleveland is a special kind of winter because the sun doesn't come out a lot because it's got that lake effect stuff going on. We needed to get some back into sunshine. We're just not, we're, we're not houseplants. So he, his company ended up moving us to Atlanta. I still had my job, but I was traveling like Monday through Friday. And, and, and I mean, I couldn't control this, my control freakness self. I was just getting more pregnant every day. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it's okay. I'm just going to strap this infant to my back and I'll just be on airplanes. It can come with me. And my husband was like, it's not going to work like that, Kara. Right. And I was like, right. So he was on my case and made me apply to a job. And I was like, no, one's going to hire like someone that's like fully pregnant. Right. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you just got to try out. Like, you can't do this on your leave when you have a newborn. And just to appease him, I applied to a company and it looked fake. So like ultimate back in the day looked fake online. It was like, or, I mean, the, our CEO, this is like, sounds braggadocious, right. But like our CEO was like the number one CEO on Glassdoor. And like, you read the reviews and everyone was like, I would give my soul to keep working here. Like, like, I love this place. Like Vivian Moss is the most wonderful person I've ever met in my life. Like, I mean, it was like out of control. I was like, well, I'm going to go apply to this fake company. So right. my husband gets <laughs> off my, <laughs> I said like, it's not a, like, it looked like a bot had written all the reviews. So I applied to just like this job that was like a leadership trainer, you know, just cause I honestly was trying to appease my husband. And then they called me and then like the people were more wonderful than those reviews. And I was like, oh shit, I like don't want to leave my company, but this place, and they had like daycare right next to them. And like, it was like a dream for a first time mom, right? It was like a super supportive environment. There was daycare right there. It was, I I mean, it was in um, Vining. So it was like 10 minutes away from me, Mm. right? So I just, I did, I really did not have a choice. So yeah. So I started, I mean, I waddled into my first day. (laughs) So how pregnant were you when you started? I interviewed six and a half months pregnant. And I always would tell this funny story at like our orientations. I had gotten through my interview and I loved my boss so much. And they were like, we're, we're developing leadership development from the ground up. And we want it to be like the good stuff. Like we don't want this to be boring and, and you could do whatever you want. And I was like, Hell yes, let's go. And then at the end of my interview, I go, um, this all sounds great, but I have a baby coming in May. And my boss was like, well, where is it coming from? <laughs> I was like, my body. And he was like, oh, no matter. We hire pregnant people all the time. And I was like, this place is so weird. So refreshing, but sadly, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Right. And it actually, when you were there, it's not uncommon. They were like, We just, you know, we believe in people. It doesn't matter if they're pregnant. Also, that company was run by women. So it made all the difference in the world, right? Right. (laughs) Um, So 
yeah, I waddled in. I worked for like a month and a half. And then I went on full maternity leave with full benefits. They, they paid 100% of health care. And I mean, the whole thing was just, it was such an amazing gift. I love it so much because for, for several reasons. One, I think it's a really good reminder that not all corporations are evil. Oh, I know. There are really such- good ones out there. I had such a wonderful experience in corporate America. Like it was, yeah. That's so good. Even kind of like calling back to the imposter that kind of was plaguing you prior to meeting your husband and like the working yourself to the bone. And I think him being a way to open your eyes, kind of calling Mm -hmm. back to that. Cause I think I'll speak to myself personally. Like it was for me, the seismic shift was having my first child and realizing that what I was doing wasn't sustainable. Mm -hmm. Oh, is it good for anybody? (laughs) But then also just like, it wasn't the most important thing in the world. It was important, but it wasn't the only part of me and that I was multidimensional. I think the other piece of this too is like, so let's do this. How long were you out before you came back? And so you, you were a month and a half in, what did you do during the month and a half? I got certified in a bunch of stuff. I facilitated a bunch of a bunch of trainings. People all looked at me sideways. It was like, but this is really cool. Like it was a cool example that like with cultures and organizations, all the mm-hmm. stuff you have on a wall does not matter. It's the proof in the pudding every single day. Yep. So like if you see the congruency of what is being said versus how the company is acting, that's when magic in a culture happens. Mm-hmm. So me being this, and I have like a very short torso. So when I'm pregnant, I'm like pregnant. People start asking me if I'm going to have a baby, like when I'm at like four months, right? <laughs> great. I loved, I love it. I'm like, nope, I got a lot longer to go, but thank you. <laughs> like, oh my so, gosh. I mean, I was like fully pregnant and I'd be like, I just got hired and people would all look at me cross-eyed. I'd be like, this is how amazing your company is. Right. Yeah. Right? So yeah, I facilitated a bunch of trainings and then yeah, I went off on leave. Oh my gosh. Okay. So then coming back, I mean, cause like you were at this company then for Gosh, six years. So, I mean, this was another great place and you had tremendous growth at this company. Yeah. I think I was there for seven years actually, but then it turned into UK. Ultimate was six and then it turned into UKG. So I came back and then, yeah, we did so much cool stuff. I mean, they were, we hired a hundred people a month. So like they were just like, and when I started, it was like a I don't even think we had hit the 3000 person mark by the end. It was that we were at 6,000. So like it was just, it was just incredible, incredible growth. Right. Oh my gosh. Golly. Okay. So held multiple titles there. Talent development managers, where you started Mm -hmm. and then manager for engagement programs. What were you doing there? So I led a team that did like all of the onboarding, the new leader assimilation, all of the like new hire learning. And then actually one of the leaders on my team, she did like remote work. So we had like a whole division that was devoted towards remote work engagement. So progressive. I know. Yeah. Like all this remote work stuff, like ultimate was letting people work from home, like in the nineties, they were like, we trust you. You're an adult. You're going to be just fine. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Okay. And then leadership and talent development leader. Yeah. So then I, then I transitioned and I led our leadership development, a bunch of different things in there for a little bit too. Yeah. Was that kind of the the goal was to get into more leadership development? Because up until this point, it had really been 
individuals, onboarding, a little sprinkling in a little bit of leadership, like, but was that kind of something you had locked in on that you really wanted to focus more on or? Well, when I started, we were building the program. So it was a lot of content design. It was a lot of facilitation. So we we built a program that was a year long where we took people through like, we would be like, this is collaboration, delegation. And so we would curate a bunch of content for people to go read and like videos to watch and all these different things. They would like post like their ideas and questions. And then we would meet for a four hour workshop like every mm-hmm. six weeks. We had so many cohorts running. So I started out facilitating and and working with like a bunch of leaders in there. Then I went off and I did employee engagement and then I came back and then I had a team of people, you know, I just took over that team that was doing that. Right. Right. Okay. So I'm curious, leading leaders while Mm -hmm. teaching leadership, what was (laughs) that like? I don't think that you can go study leadership. Like you can only take it to a point And then when you're actually doing the work, like you have to do both of those things, Mm -hmm. right? Like you have to fumble, you have to go through the experiences. However, I will say that like one of the gifts that I had in my career was that I, I built a leadership development program. So there's something that happens when you're reading the book and then you're, you're like developing a class from it. And then you're teaching that class and hosting discussions. Right. You learn the material on a, on such a deep level. And it's like, you're reading these books and you're like, well, I made that mistake. And then I made this mistake. And then I made this mistake. Right. <laughs> So when you transfer that over and you then have a team, it's like, you, I don't think you make as many mistakes because you understand the theory behind, you're still going to make mistakes, right? but you don't make as many because you understand, I mean, obviously I should understand how human beings work more than anybody, but it helps you on that journey for sure. The more education that you have about how humans work before you get into leadership definitely gives you a leg up. Right. Yeah. I'm curious again, because it's just such a an area of passion and purpose and expertise for you. What is it (laughs) about leadership that you're so drawn to? I think that so many people have had bad experiences and it's, I think it's the missing link, right? Like I wish everyone could be able to have a workplace where they were able to bring their whole selves to work. They felt great about the work that they were doing. And I mean, it changes you whenever you're able to do that, right? I wish I could like have a magic wand and give that to everybody, but it can't, right? But even if you have a broken system, if you have a great leader and that broken system, you can still have that experience. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's what draws me to it is it's like, it's the way to make the most impact of like, you can't fix everything, but you can, you can help people with their leadership practice, like with sales, right? Like you can't turn somebody into an amazing salesperson, but you can teach them how to ask better questions. Right. Right. And the same thing for leaders, right? Like I'd always say, like, if you go through this year long program and you just learn how to listen and like be present with somebody, you're going to be a mile ahead of everybody else. So there was just a study that was showing that someone's leader impacts their mental health more than anything else. Right. Oh yeah. And that's part of it. It's like, if we can help people be better leaders, then that means that you're making healthier mothers and fathers and parents and friends and community members. Mm. I know this sounds like really optimistic, but it like helps the world. Leadership really does help the world. It does. It does. You're like, oh, you're preaching to the core. I'm over here, like emphatically <laughs> nodding my head. I know nobody can see me, but I'm like, yes, because it it is. And like, I used to always 
tell people whenever I would have somebody new start on my team, one of our first interactions would be, I had a story that I would share that would kind of open up about where I had fallen down pretty badly Mm. early on in my management experience and what it taught me about the significance of being a leader and how I viewed it as it was both a gift because how powerful to get to have this amazing opportunity to work with some incredible people and be part of shaping their, that time that they're with you, but a tremendous responsibility because of how you can affect them. And to always be kind of striking that balance of it is a gift, but it is a responsibility. I think that's incredibly significant. And that makes so much sense why you you've been so drawn to it, both from like your own personal lived experience of what great leadership can look like, how it can affect people, but then also the true impact of what leaders can bring to those that they're responsible for. Absolutely. And it's education, right? Like Mm. none of this stuff is rocket science. Mm -mm. But maybe I think that's also, I'm just going to just say, I think that's probably part of your superpower because it's not rocket science to you. And that's probably part of why you've been so incredibly t- great at it is that you have, a, I would imagine, some very natural talents that lend themselves well to it. And then you've also invested tremendous time educating yourself, practicing and getting better, 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 better. So, but yes, it, it's not right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, it is and it isn't, right? Like anytime we're trying to change our own behaviors, yeah, that's some deep, deep work that has to happen. But yep education, like being a, like a, being attentive, like what you said, Oh God, I wrote this down intentional, intentionally updating that narrative. That's Uh hard to do, but it's possible. And we have to do that with a lot of elements of our life when we're changing our own behavior. It starts with our minds. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love it so much. Okay. So kind of about this time, we're about six years in the company goes through a pretty big shift. So tell us about I think you had mentioned in our prep, you were just coming back from your second maternity leave. Yep. I was just, uh, the day I came back from my second maternity leave, we got the news that our company sold, which was interesting because everyone was really apprehensive, but also they did a really wonderful job of making everybody owners in the company. Like a lot of people, I mean, not me, right? (laughs) A lot of people became millionaires that day, right? Mm -hmm. So it was like an incredible celebration. And Ultimate also had like 97% employee retention. So people had been there for like 20 years and like back when the stock was like $2 a share. Right. So it was a really incredible day for a lot of people because it was like a life-changing day, but it was what's going to happen next. Yeah. There's a lot of uncertainty that happens when there's an acquisition like that, a Mm -hmm. purchase like that. And as exciting as it is, it is. Okay. And then this is where ultimate gets merged with another company in this portfolio. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. So not Mm -hmm. just being bought, but now a merger. Mm -hmm. So our sales team went first. So they needed me to help the sales teams come together. Mm -hmm. So I stepped into a role where I was helping the the, the sales teams had two very different philosophies. They were having to now partner sell, which was interesting. It was a process. It's tough. I, the, the last leadership role I held, I took over a team that had been through a merger. Actually it was an acquisition. They had acquired their biggest competitor in the space and the company acquired was better, but the acquirer saw themselves as better because they acquired. 
Yeah. Mergers so we have that whole funky <laughs> dynamic of like very different sales cultures, former head to head competitors and trying to bring those two cultures together and create one unified team. Like that whole change management process, it takes, it takes time and work and intentionality and that's no small feat. So, okay. So you were tasked with bringing together the two sales organizations because at this point now your HR business partner, was that the role you were holding then? Or were you, what was your official title then? Yeah, I was like a senior manager of HR business partner, something like yeah. that. It just, and, I, and for anyone, I was, I was hoping, I was helping the sales teams. Right. Well, so for anyone who doesn't know, because business partners was something that I didn't get to have one until I was at MindBody. And mm. I loved, her name was Aspa. She was amazing. And she was really the core part of our, of our sales organization. It was really great. But oh yeah. Tell us a little bit, like what do business partners typically do? Because I, I was not familiar with the role up until a few years ago. I was just having this conversation with one of my friends the other day that it's actually, if a business is doing it right, it's a role that shouldn't exist because the mm. leader, because the leaders know how to do it themselves. Right. You know, HR is always on this quest of getting a seat at the table and being a part of the business. So it's like teaching the business how to use people as its power. Right. Yeah. So an HR business partner usually sits with a C-suite and while they're making decisions, they are filling the gap of how is this going to affect people? Are you using change management? How are you thinking about this? How are you thinking about this? Sometimes when people sit in that seat, they're thinking about their businesses as a mechanical, right? They're not thinking about it as, as a garden, as an environment that they need to, they need to nourish and grow so that people can thrive. They're thinking of, okay, well, let's look at the performance reviews. Let's see who the high performers are, who do, you know, like that kind of mechanical stuff. Like that's how they look at people and they don't realize that they could do business in a different way. So HR business partners in theory are like, are helping people like with that gap that's there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What an interesting. And what it ends up being though, sometimes is Mm -hmm. it's just the deliverer of bad news. And they're just the people like, it's like, that's, that's how that role can go sour really fast is if Mm -hmm. they are just the person that is like sending out updates and giving bad news to those senior leaders. Right. No, thank you. Mm -hmm. Would not, would not want that job. (laughs) That's also in some ways, I feel like what makes middle management mm. icy. Because mm. sometimes even as a great That's leader, a whole episode. That right? is a whole episode of why middle management is terrible and how it is failing. And yes, it's like you have all the responsibility. Everyone's looking up to you, but your leaders have never been trained on how to give you autonomy and let you make decisions. So you're just a messenger. It's a, yes. You're usually pouring out in two directions. At yeah. That yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's fine. Everything's fine. It's all fine. It's all fine. Yes. Reach out to both of us directly if you want more stories. Someone was telling me the other day that they're doing studies that uh, middle managers are having brain damage because of that situation. Like they're losing empathy and they like they're they're showing that leadership is actually causing brain damage because of this situation. That's how bad it is. I mean, I would believe it because I think about people I know that have because I've been in an environment and then they are still there. And I know what it's like, like what you have to shut down mm-hmm. inside yourself to survive. Exactly. It like sadly becomes about survival 
because there's something out, right? Like there's a reason they're staying. It's, you know, no one in their right mind would probably stay, but there's some survival mechanism kicking in. Oof, that's Oof. interesting. I'd love to see that if you have that information, because I'd be very curious because that's, that's a tough role to hold. Okay. So about a year and a half in to this merger that's transpired, that's when, and this is also like post pandemic, you're now a mom of two, like a lot of major life of, I mean, like this is all happening with the global pandemic in the backdrop. <laughs> so what kind of becomes the the catalyst or the seed that gets planted that leads you to to break off and now start and do your own thing? In hindsight, the timing was a little bit silly. Um but I'd always had it in the back of my head that like I had to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And part of this goes back to my original point. I always tell people I need a sexier story of like why I started my business. One of, one of the clients I work with, he was like, you need to tell people you were like hike, hiking the Appalachian Trail. And then you got like bit by a snake and then you had like an epiphany. And I'm like, I do need to have that story, but I don't. Because I was so involved in leadership, we would hire people to come in as facilitators. And like every time they would come in, I was like, I could have a company that knocked these people out of the water, quite honestly. I mean, that's so bad to say. Again, I need a better story, but- No, I, you don't. Wait, well, hold on, <laughs> hold on, hold on. I, I don't really allow that language on the podcast. Okay. So I'm going to stop you because here's what I hear. I'm going to jump right in. I was going to wait, but I'm going to jump in. What I hear is like, I was the person who gave you that feedback, a man. I mean, maybe I don't even, maybe it's myself even. Maybe well, I need to fix it in myself. Well, the reason I say that is because what I've noticed with women that I really admire and love is they are risk takers, but they're calculated risk takers. Mm. And so oftentimes what ends up happening is a seed gets planted and then they're kind of gathering information. They're taking steps in a direction. And then there becomes that moment where the the leap is made. They kind of cross the chasm or the bridge of calculated risk is what I call it. Yeah. So what I hear you describing is simply that. I think that's almost the other story is impulsive, right? (laughs) (laughs) This thing happened to me and now I'm going to change something major about my life where that's just, you know, I've, I've seen that superpower in women, which is like, you have the idea and it's, it's calculated in a positive way where you're figuring out, like you're kind of gathering the information leading towards the direction. And then it still takes tremendous courage to actually make the move. Totally. So anyways, so I'll, I'll just, okay. I'll offer you that as Thank far you. as Thank like, you. I appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate it. And I receive <laughs> it all day. <laughs> and also as somebody who has sat through many trainings thinking in my head, I could do it better. I resonate with that. I mean, so many people are bad at this job. It's wild. It's like, they don't even know how to put a PowerPoint presentation together, you know, like, and so it's like, that's what it was. It's like, I sat through so much bad shit. And I was like, I could, as Regima says, right? Like I run circles around these people. So like, I, I mean, I do know myself well enough to know that. Like, I know how to engage a crowd. I know how, like, I've been speaking for so long that like, I know I have, I have that ability. I'm very, very practiced. Right. And so I would sit through all these like terrible demonstrations. And I was like, I could run circles around these people. You know, it just took me a while to say, like, I gave myself a date. I was like, I'm going to do it by this date, no matter what, like it's, it's, I just, I just got to do it. I got to give it a try. So I think it got pushed back. My date ended up being the date that like my counterpart decided to put in her notice. And I was like, well, shit, that was my date. <laughs> I had this like, had this like line in the sand that I was going to tell everybody. And then my counterpart called me. She's like, Kara, I got another job. And I was like, but I was going to quit too. And 
um, this is a problem. So anyways, I pushed back my date a little bit, but then, yeah, I just, I was like, this is it. I got to go for it. I love it. And I love the fact that not only did you see something that could be better, but that you did something about it, right? It's like one thing to be like, I could do this better. And lots of people can say that, but then to actually go out and create. And I, I, what's been really interesting listening to you talk throughout this time together is you've had a very entrepreneurial streak to you Mm -hmm. this whole time. I mean, even just being like, I'm going to pick up and go to Mexico and we're going (laughs) to figure it out and we're going to try something. And, and then going to dealer tires and like so many of these roles that you held, like you figured them out, you know, real time, you created them when they didn't exist. Like there's so much that you've been building and constructing and even in this role where like you had to create a program that was going to merge these two together like it makes so much sense that of course with your background your experience in facilitating your passion for leadership your expertise there and then your curriculum development and your ability to just build things it makes so much sense that this is where you are meant to be at this point in time oh thank you it's really cool oh my gosh well several things. We'll start with my favorite kind of closing question. And I didn't give you a whole lot of time to think about this. So you can have as much time (laughs) as you want. You know, as you look back on your career up until this point, and you think about either a piece of advice that has served you really well, Mm. or perhaps it's just something you have learned along the way, something that no matter what for listeners, you want them to take away with them from this episode, what would that be? Uh, There's two things. So the first thing when it comes to everything that you do is sales. Mm -hmm. So everything that you do, whether you are in HR or you are in customer success, everything that you do is sales because you are trying to influence other people. And so what I would say to that is that advice I got back in the day, I've been in 650 car dealerships, right? So like you go into one car dealership after the other, it's kind of like, what do I do here? What do I do here? And someone gave me this really simple piece of advice is to always bring value. So I think that even if you get in your head about like, am I enough? Like, what am I going to say to this person? How do I build this relationship? If you just first stop and say, what would be valuable to them? Can I help maybe bring that? Right. I just think that it simplifies all of those fears. Yeah. And then my other favorite piece of advice is that I am not my mind. Mm. And I wish I would have known that sooner. I had such a hard time with my internal dialogue whenever I was younger. And if I would have understood the world of healing and yoga and meditation sooner, it would have saved me so much anxiety and so much heartache, right? So it's like, if you can go out and read like a prisoner of my thoughts Mm -hmm. or go get some book where you really can understand that that mental chatter in your head is not telling you the truth. It's coming from a place of fear. The sooner you can learn that. And even maybe you're 50 right now and you've just thought, oh, I don't know what to do. That mental chatter just goes all day long. Just when I'm going to sleep at night, there's nothing I can do. You can, right? Like you are not your mind. Your mind usually doesn't have your best interest at heart. Try to find ways to get in charge of it because Mm -hmm. then it'll open up so many doors. So many doors. And I think like what I've learned is the side (laughs) of me that's like, how do I eradicate it? And I like, (laughs) you you can't, you know, it doesn't, it's not that it goes away. However, you get so effective at shutting it down, Mm -hmm. shutting it down. And just noticing it, noticing it and be like, okay, I hear that's what you're trying to do right now. Okay. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, thanks. 
Thank you. I'll see you later. (laughs) One of my favorite coaches, her name is Amy Mewson. She, she usually will make you say it out loud. And Mm -hmm. there's just, it's kind of like, you know, when you pull, you pull like the little like boogie character out of the shadows and into the, into the sun and it looks ridiculous. And it's kind of the same thing when you say a lot of times what it's saying to you out loud, like it it actually sounds very ridiculous when we vocalize it. So it's that nice. If we're not, if we let oh. that thing run wild, that little monster in our head, I think, I think that thing is a little, little much. Right. Right. It <laughs> it doesn't take much fuel to keep running. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I, I love this so much. I'm going to link your information, but if people want to connect with you, they want to learn more about what you're doing. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? I am everywhere on social media. So you can find me literally everywhere. Um, <laughs> True story. Oh, and you have a podcast. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. We didn't even talk about that, but you have, you have your own podcast called pop on leadership. So yeah. So we have uh, that too. Perfect. Yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on TikTok, and, or you can just email me or call me, whatever. But, <laughs> and then also I have a podcast where my co-host and I, we unpack leadership and organizational development theories. There are a lot of times like very academic, but we do it through fun TV shows. So our main focus has been Ted Lasso, but we've also done the bear and we, we have like a, a, a few others that we're going to we're going to start using. And we just had it. We just released our series on the shows that we cannot do because they're too terrible. Like, <laughs> like six, like everyone wants us to do succession. And we're like, there's no good actors. The acting is great, but there's no, like, there's nothing good. There's no redeeming. There's, there's, nothing, no re- there's yeah. nothing. These people are horrible. <laughs> so we released a three-part series on why we can't do like succession and Yellowstone and like some and Emily in Paris. Everyone asks us to do Emily in Paris. We can't, or like, there's just, there's just not, uh, it's like grass against straws. We can't do these. So right. sorry, <laughs> but we talk, we talk about why we can't talk about them. Right. Right. Smart. Very smart. Well, uh, Kara, thank you so much for coming on and thank you. sharing your incredible journey. And I just, I'm so excited. I'll speak on behalf of everyone listening that we are so excited for the work that you're doing, the impact that you're having and look forward to following along on the journey from here. And thank you, TikTok. Thank you, TikTok. Who would have thought we would say that? (laughs) Safe to say, we could have kept going for much longer. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Kara. And if you did too, take a moment, reach out to her on LinkedIn, give her a follow. And if you want to learn more about her company, Insights Leadership Group, I've linked it for you in the show notes. I want to say a big thank you to each of you for being here. I am so excited that we are back for our fourth season of Rising Tide podcast. This is the first of many incredible interviews to come in this season. I want to say a big thank you to Josh Reedford for all of his amazing editing for these podcasts. And thank you to this incredible community for showing up, for investing in yourself and continuing to rise. Until next week, keep rising, y'all. <laughs>